You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Good morning! Man, you guys are doing really good. You're the awake ones. You're the ones who got used to sleeping in and sitting on your couch, watching the services at home. We're really glad you're here with us today. And for all of you who are still at home, for whatever the reason you're at home, we're really glad you're tuning in. We know that there are a number of people either who go to other churches who weren't able to put out a video who started tuning in. If that's your story, we're glad you're here. We also know there were other people who were just checking us out, that God was doing something in them. I met a lady last service. She's been going back and watching her sermons. She's first Sunday was here. Today, she just moved at Avon two weeks ago, and uh, another lady was baptized last service. Uh, she, her family goes here, has gone here for a long time, and she's been watching online for the last four months. She showed up and was just ready to surrender her life to the Lord. So let's just pause and give God the glory for all he's doing. That's cool? It's very cool. All right, so we're in this series called Stay Salty, and uh, I'll get into that in just a minute. But what I want to do is I want to take us to a passage in Luke chapter 8 where Jesus talks about something specific, and I'm going to use all this to kind of help us understand. And what Jesus went around teaching, he taught in something called parables. So if you're new to this thing called faith and you're picking up your Bible and you're having a hard time understanding it, don't be surprised. Jesus taught in parables for two primary reasons. Reason number one is because when Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, and ascended into heaven, the disciples became apostles. Apostle literally means the sent ones. And so the sent ones went out, took all of Jesus' teachings, and were able to deliver that to the rest of the world. So the disciples got inside information, inside training. In fact, in the passage we're going to look at today, in Luke chapter 8, if you want to read along with us, or even at home, you could turn to Luke chapter 8, and for a minute, you'll see it there. And uh, what they would do, literally, so Jesus tells and uses a parable, and the disciples don't get it, and so they pull Jesus aside, and they go, Jesus, that was like some deep stuff, man. What in the world are you talking about? And Jesus then explains to them, oh, this is what it means. And they go, oh, so then now, Jesus dies across, raised from the dead, they write it down, and we all have those stories. But the second reason he did that is because Jesus wants us to dig into what he means. He wants us to wrestle with it. He wants us to discern what he means and what he has for our life. This particular teaching today, God has been kicking my hiney with it, and so I thought I would share it with you. Here you go. Congratulations and welcome to Kingsway. Maybe your hiney will feel sore too at the end. Okay, so Luke chapter 8, we're going to pick up in uh, verse 5. It says this, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, Sorry, fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Over the last couple weekends, uh, we went down to my mother-in-law's house in Barstown, Kentucky, and we've been helping her with some projects outside. If you don't know, if you're new to Kingsway or watching, my my father-in-law passed away last year, so we just kind of went down. We're lending some physical aid to help out with some projects. And the one project we did last weekend, we took all the old rock out. We pulled up all the old weed fabric. We pulled out some bushes and a tree, and we replanted some flowers. We put down some weed fabric. We put down some rocks. And then because of all that work, we tore up some of the grass. We had to plant some grass seed there. And I realized Jesus could have used any number of seeds for his illustration. We aren't exactly sure what kind of seed he was talking about, but I think sunflower seeds are what Jesus intended to use. So um, at least that would be my preference. So in this little illustration, Jesus planted some seed. But what was unique about this particular pot is that the seed that was scattered by the farmer fell along a path where things get trampled. Imagine coming maybe in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, 
You ever see like, you got farmland on one side and farmland on the other side, but there's like this road that goes between them. Maybe like somebody splits two different properties. You know what I'm talking about? And back in the day before it was a paved road, maybe it would have been like a dirt path, you know, and whatever the horse and buggy would have gone along the path or whatever. It, think of that. Can I have that picture in your head? And the farmer is scattering his seed. And some of it just happens to fall in that location and it gets trampled on. Well, you know this, using grass seed, like at my mother-in-law's house, if you want to plant grass seed, what do you do to keep the birds from eating it up? You put straw or hay or, you know, you buy this stuff that's got newspaper or something mixed up in it. You do that kind of thing to try to keep the birds out. But if you're going to step on it, you're just going to expose it. You don't really care about it and the birds are going to eat it up. But Jesus says, that's what happened to the seed that fell in that particular location. But then it goes on in verse six, and he says, some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Now we put all the old rock back and then we put some fresh rock on top of that in my mother-in-law's house. And if you've ever planted, you know that, that rocks don't make great soil. In fact, if you're gonna do that and put like weed fabric down like we did, the, the water's not gonna penetrate there. You gotta cut around and kind of keep things out You've got to put some dirt, you've got to put some fertilizer down there below the rock, and especially the clay, like my mother-in-law down in Kentucky, Barstown, where she lives, like you've got to get some good stuff down there for the water to penetrate. So what happens in this particular location is Jesus takes some seed out, and he puts it in there, it just scatters it, but it just happens to fall among these rocks. And just over time, it gets real dry, real thirsty, and it can't grow, and it eventually it dies. But then there's a third and again, Jesus didn't use pots. I'm just using these because I'd make a mess if I didn't. So Jesus says the farmer scattered some seed, and he says in verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. As we went through my mother-in-law's garden, we had to pull out all these weeds that were in there, and these are fresh from my garden today. I've been to my mother-in-law's for a couple weekends, and uh, there's not too many thorns there, but those are weeds just for you. And so you know this, right? This isn't like take you know, a... a degree in brain surgery to figure this out, right? Or astrophysics. If you have weeds growing up with your plants, eventually the weeds are going to soak up some of the moisture and your plant's going to die. In Jesus' day, there's actually a weed that looks like wheat. Now, we don't know that Jesus is referring to wheat. He, he probably wasn't referring to dill pickle flavored sunflower seeds, but maybe if he tried them, I don't know. But there's actually another illustration Jesus uses where there's wheat and weeds growing up side by side. It's another parable. And he's asked the question, should we go and pull up the weeds? And he says, no, no, no. The angels will take care of that at the end. He's actually referring to the church. That in every church, there will be some who are sold out to Jesus and there will be some who aren't. And you won't necessarily know the difference because the wheat and the weeds look exactly the same. But at the harvest time, it'll be obvious. But here's the problem. The wheat, weeds can actually choke out the wheat. And Jesus says, this particular seed that fell in among it, it just choked it out and it died. But then there's this other one. He says in verse eight, still other seed fell in good soil and it came up and yielded a crop. A hundred times more than was sown. The disciples look at Jesus and go, that is some deep stuff, man. Huh? Maybe you feel the same way. Now, what's interesting about each of these is the seed is the same. Jesus tells them the seed is the word of God, the Bible, the teachings of Jesus. It doesn't matter. It's the exact 
same in every analogy. What's different is where it lands. Hmm. So the disciples look at Jesus and go, we don't get it. And you may be feeling the same way. So Jesus explains it to them a little better. Let's take a look. So he goes through and he looks at, in, in Luke chapter 8, verse 12. He says, well, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Well, if you remember, he said originally they fell along the path and they were trampled on. And I got to processing this and wrestling. Again, parables are mysterious on purpose so that you'll wrestle with them. And I said, Jesus, why did you tell us that they were trampled on and then the birds came and ate them up? Why did you make both of those points? But then in your explanation, we know the birds represent Satan. We know the seeds represent the word of God. We know the path represents the type of person who received it. But there's a piece that's missing in the second part. It's the trampled on. And here's what I think. And I could be wrong, but here's what I think. I've got some um, friends of mine. They're men and women who at one point met Jesus and knew Jesus. Everything in their life looked like they loved Jesus. In fact, one guy in particular, he's one of the reasons I went to the Bible college I went to. He's one of the reasons. He, he poured into me. He ended up in ministry for a while. But since he has abandoned the faith, not only has he abandoned the faith, but he actually has a ministry for other people to intentionally make them ask questions about whether or not God is real. I don't know everything that happened to him. I, we haven't really stayed in touch over the years, but I have a suspicion that somewhere along the way, he got trampled on. Life is hard. Have you noticed that? I know we got kids in the room like, Pastor, you're being a little too sad for all the kids. Okay, okay, well, I'll move quickly, but have you ever noticed how hard and difficult and complex and life could be at times? I don't know where things are heading in America related to this coronavirus. I don't know if we should quarantine again. I, I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen, all these companies that are closing and people are gonna be looking for jobs and unemployment's through the roof. I don't know who's gonna win the presidency. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if there's gonna be more riots. I don't know. I don't know. But when life is really hard and you've been trampled on, it's the perfect opportunity for Satan to come and steal whatever faith or joy you have if you let him. And sometimes faith just means hanging on long enough to see what God is gonna do with it. You think about like Romans chapter eight, verse 28, one of my favorite verses where Paul says, God is working all things together for the good of those who love him. The problem for those who get trampled on and then Satan comes and steals their joy or their faith or their hope is that we didn't wait long enough to see God act in our story. So we just gave up. Jesus goes on, in verse 13, he says, those who fell on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root because, or they believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The Bible is clear that God cannot tempt you because God can't be tempted. He has no desires for evil whatsoever, and he's always love. However, God does allow us to be tested. And there's lots of questions that I have about that, and you may too. I have a lot of questions exactly how that looks and how that happens, but when the testing comes, some people just don't handle it well. They just fall away because they don't have any roots. I think it's in Colossians, Paul says, may your roots grow down deep into God's love. 
May you know and experience and see how high and how deep and how wide God's love is for you. And this is what he's trying to get to. But see, if your roots don't go deep enough, then when a test comes and things do get hard or they get complex, you'll be tempted to abandon God because God didn't do things the way you thought he ought to do them. This is my beef today with what many of, (laughs) I was going to say, many of the preaching we see on TV, but all the preaching you see nowadays is on TV. But anyway, all but ours. No, I'm just kidding. So uh, this is a lot of what we call the prosperity gospel, that Jesus wants you to be healthy, happy, and wise. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to be blessed. But what happens when the test comes? I mean, Jesus tells so many stories to fly in the face of this. What happens when the test comes? If your roots don't go down deep, You might not only fail the test, but you might actually abandon God. And then what? What seed is left? But then he goes on and he says in verse 14, the seed that fell among the thorns, or Matt's fresh weeds, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they do not mature. Choked, strangled out. Life's worries. Anybody worried about America, your family, your company, your health? Anybody worried? What about life's pleasures? Man, the statistics on what happened to alcohol abuse, medicinal abuse, drug abuse, other online abuses through the last three months is crazy. See, when life got hard, and I believe that God is leveraging all the things going on in the world, a worldwide pandemic, God is not gonna waste that opportunity to draw and call people to himself, but some are gonna be so distracted by whatever joy or pleasures or fears or worries or anxieties are going on around them that they're gonna miss God in the midst of it. Now, here's the thing. I already said this, but the word of God didn't change, but where it lands is what makes all the difference in the world. You could call this group the distracted group. But then there's that last group. And for lack of a better phrase, I don't know what else to call it except for the productive group. One of the other gospels in telling the same story, because Jesus told this story a lot, it doesn't just say that they produced 100 times. It says something like 30, 50, 100 times what was sown in them. Since I use sunflower seeds, you may know when a sunflower pops up, it's got all these seeds inside it, and they just could fall out and dry out and make this awesome yumminess that goes on salads. And sunflower seeds are amazing, but the whole idea is one seed produced all of those seeds, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying. One seed, when it goes in the ground and dies, it reproduces itself. And it brings up this great question. See, the the marker of every believer is, are you reproducing Jesus in this world? Now, there's a a lot of different ways you could do that. God may be stirring in your heart or has stirred in your heart. There may be ways that you are uniquely serving and caring and loving for others. Maybe you're bringing hope and joy to depression. Maybe you're fighting for people who are oppressed. Maybe you're partnering with some mission organization to help feed or care for others in need. There's a lot of ways that we do this. We reproduce the life of Jesus Christ that he's put inside us in our daily lives. But here's my concern. After being a pastor now for a little over 20 years and having been a Christian for, I don't know, 30 years, I've seen this tendency in me. So I'm not saying you, 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 you. I'm saying me, me, me. This tendency to to fall into each of these camps at different points along the way and miss what God is trying to do in a moment. 
And I've just seen so many, so many people not reproducing Jesus in the world. And I get concerned that on the last day, that when we stand before him, what will be our testimony? Did you know the book of Revelation actually says that those who love God in the midst of life's greatest hardships, it'll be the word of our testimony, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony that will be the salt for this world. How is your life right now being a testimony to the good news of Jesus Christ in you? Maybe that didn't fully make sense. Well, I want to show you the second half of a verse I didn't put in there earlier. This comes from Luke chapter 8, verse 8, the second half of verse 8. Jesus said this. After he told the story the first time through, he says, when he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Okay, real quick. Anybody in here have ears? Let me see your hands real quick. You at home, you have ears? How many of you heard Jesus? You're like, I don't know, maybe. Isn't that ironic? Anybody who has ears to hear? Well, everybody has ears. Ah, but not everybody has ears to hear. How do I know if I have ears to hear? This is why Jesus explained to the disciples, it's not that hard. Is your faith being trampled on? Are you being tempted to not go deep into God's love with the life and the water that he provides? Are you being choked out by life's distractions or are you reproducing? If you're reproducing, you probably heard right. If you're being convicted right now that you're not reproducing, you're probably hearing right. If you aren't reproducing Jesus' love in your life to others and you think everything's okay, you're probably one bad day away from becoming one of these pots. And that ought to scare you a little bit. Like, at least get your attention. <laughs> like, whoa, what do I need to do different? You know what's fascinating? In the book of Luke, here in chapter eight, Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Did you know he only says it one other time in the book of Luke? One other time. Do you know where he says it? It's in Luke chapter 14. Let me show it to you. Luke chapter 14, verse 34. It says this, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It's thrown out. Okay, so wait a minute. <laughs> so salt can't lose its saltiness. It's impossible. Sodium chloride. You cannot unsodium chloride sodium chloride. It doesn't happen. So Jesus is not being literal. He's being metaphoric. The whole point is, if salt can't be salty anymore, it's no good. In fact, you can't even throw it on a pile of manure. That's a bad day. <laughs> If Jesus can't even throw you on a pile of manure, that's a bad day. What in the world is he talking about? I learned something this week, and then I found out that almost everybody knew this except for me. That's never encouraging. But here's what I learned this week. Did you know that they actually use salt as a fertilizer? Good. So you didn't know either. I'm glad. Okay. So in other parts of the world, in fact, even during World War II, they'll take salt and they'll put it on manure, and it activates the manure to help things grow. Luke 14, 35b, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. What? Okay, so Jesus intends for your life to be salty and he intends to use your life to activate the soil in the lives of others, 
whereby when the word of God is planted inside them, they'll be more receptive to what he's doing. Make sense? The best way to read your Bible, and we're really bad at this in America in general, I don't know about you specifically, but it's to try to understand what the author is saying when the author says it. We tend to grab a verse. For instance, uh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I've been trying to run a five-minute mile since I was in seventh grade, and it's never going to happen. Apparently, God has not given me enough strength. That's not what the verse means. Paul is saying something when he says that verse, and it's not my point for today, so I don't want to go down that road. So when Jesus says, who has ears, let him hear in Luke 14, what is he saying? Well, the best way to understand that is to read Luke 14. You know what happens if you read Luke 14? You learn something. Here's what it looks like. There's a story at the very beginning of Luke 14. It's a Sabbath day, and the religious elite of Jesus' day had these rules about what you could and couldn't do on Sabbath. And one of the things they were doing is they were setting up Jesus in Luke 14 to see what he would do. So there's a man there, and he's hurting, and they're watching Jesus to see if Jesus is going to break their Sabbath rule and heal on the Sabbath. And he looks at them, and he says, wait a minute, how many of you, if you're walking along and your donkey falls into a pit, you're, you're going to leave your donkey there until tomorrow? Any of you? No. You'd get him out. What if it was your child? No way. You'd help him out. So how can it be wrong for me then to help this man? And they have no answer because Jesus confounds them always with his wisdom. So Jesus goes ahead and he heals the man. See, this man has been trampled on his whole life. And the religious elite say, even though he can find healing right now, the rules say you can't help. I don't even know exactly how to apply this to your life. But I will say this. In my, whatever, 20 years of being a pastor, there's a lot of religious people who have a lot of rules. I'm one of them. Okay, so like I'm guilty as charged. But Jesus at one point rebukes the Pharisees and he says, you do all these things, you teach all these things, you give all these rules to people, but you don't lift a finger to help them. Man, that's a a convicting little word from Jesus. It's not enough to have just the right message. You gotta lift a finger. And I wonder what would happen to some of the seed that fell onto the path and got trampled if maybe more Christians would just lift a finger. The next story, Jesus is sitting at a dinner and uh, he looks at the, the, the guests at the dinner and he says, look, when you come to a dinner, the, the position on the right and on the left are a really big deal. In fact, this is why the disciples are fighting with Jesus and, and with each other about who's gonna sit on Jesus' right and Jesus' left, but there's more than two disciples. So they're all fighting over who's the most important because that's what it meant to sit next to the, the host's home right there on the right and on the left. It's the, the guest of honor seat. It's like the prominent seat. Jesus says, when you show up at a dinner party you've been invited to, don't go to the most important seats. Sit in the least important seat, the one furthest from everybody. Because if you sit in one of those seats and the host shows up and you think you're the guest of honor and he looks at you because he said, oh, I want you to come to my house for lunch. It's going to be a big deal. All my family and friends are going to come. It's going to be great. And you sit there because you think you're a big deal. What happens when the host comes to you and picks you up and says, what are you doing? That's for somebody else. And you're going to end up at the worst seat anyway, and now you're going to be made a fool in front of everybody. Jesus says, no, no, no. When you get invited somewhere, you go ahead and take the least, most important seat at the table. Then, when you find out that you are the guest of honor, what will happen is the host will come in and grab you and say, my friend, what are you doing? Why are you sitting here? Come and sit over here. And instead, everybody will look at you and say, wow, nice job. And everybody looked at Jesus and went, that's some more deep stuff, Jesus. What in the world are you talking about? Exactly. 
And Jesus says, see, don't look like the world looks. See, the world is thirsty, thirsty for somebody who's going to live a servant life. Thirsty. Are you tired of arrogance? Are you tired of braggadociousness? I don't even know that's the word it is now. Did you get tired of it and other people? Can't you point it out like that? Jesus said, this, this world is thirsty for somebody who will be so humble that even if they're the most important person in the room, they don't mind taking the position of lowliness. And Jesus says, anybody who exalts themselves, God will humble. Anybody who humbles himself, God will exalt in due time. So Jesus is saying, it's pretty clear. You want to salt the world with your life? Be humble. Be humble. One of the words for humble literally means power under control. It's a word picture. It's the word picture of a horse taking a bit in its mouth. Who's stronger, you or the horse? You aren't that big. <laughs> Who's stronger? A horse. But the horse allows you to lead it. That's one of the words for humility in the Greek. Did you know that? In the Bible. The whole idea is when Jesus came to earth, took on flesh, dwelt among us, he was power under control. He was like a horse taking a bit in its mouth. He was submitting to the Father's lead. He could have done anything he wanted at any time, but he chose to do what was most important to the Father. The next story, Jesus then turns directly to the host and he says, you know, you are like most people. You throw parties that benefit you. You're more concerned about reciprocity than hospitality. Reciprocity means what's reciprocated. So you gather your family, your rich friends, and you throw a party, and you know what they're gonna do? They're gonna turn around a week from now, a month from now, and they're gonna throw a big party for you, and they're gonna put you at the seat of honor. Jesus said, if you really, really, really wanna bring salt into this earth, you know what you do? You don't do that. No, 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 no. Don't get distracted by wealth and power and prominence and pleasures. No, no, no. You go out and you invite the crippled and the poor and the blind and the lame and they can't repay you for anything. That's how you bring salt to this earth. And this one kicked my hiney. I mean, all of these in some way or another kicked my hiney, but this one in particular. I have a friend he used to be a coworker with me, good friend. I love him to death. And he's a missionary in Peru. In fact, when we started going to Peru as a church, um, it was because of my relationship with him, we started going down there. Well, then he left that organization called New Hope, and we still support New Hope, but he went to a different mission organization in one of the really poor communities. Most of the communities of Peru are poor. And he started working with them. And so even though our church doesn't support him, we support New Hope, I follow him because he's my friend. And I saw a couple months ago, at the beginning of the quarantine, he posted something on Facebook. And he said, hey, for $11, we could buy a bag of food and feed families in need. If you want to help, let us know. And I got this grandiose idea. Here's my idea. Uh, hey, honey, we got a bunch of junk, because like most Americans, we do that. And uh, what, if, what if we take some of our junk and we sell it, like on Facebook Marketplace or whatever? And here's what we'll do. We'll take 50% of everything we sell, we'll buy more junk, and we'll sell it. So we'll try to look for stuff that's cheap. We'll buy your junk and resell it for more money. Because I'm thinking like a businessman, right? Then if our boys work hard, I'll pay them 10% profit a piece. Whatever the profit is, they get 10% a piece. And then we'll take the, the leftover 20% and we'll buy bags of food for these people in Peru. My kids were so excited. They were like, dad, what if we just give our full 10% each and we just go ahead and feed these families? I'm like, I am one proud papa. 
I got a letter from my friend recently. Here's what he says, if I could just read some of this letter to you. He said, at the beginning of the pandemic, we prayed that God would use this time to open doors previously closed to us. We've been so blessed by what's been happening. I mentioned a feeding project earlier that we started for those without food during this time, as there are many that are going to bed hungry here. We began preparing bags of food and working with pastors to deliver them to single mothers, the elderly, those with special needs, and those without any source of income, and eventually, a couple months ago, I asked through Facebook if anyone would want to give directly to the project, and I expected maybe five to 10 people to donate, and I was elated to see almost 80 people donated, and we raised over $17,000. With this money, we've fed over 700 families, we've bought beds for people sleeping on the ground, wheelchairs, medicine for people that cannot afford their prescriptions, and many other wonderful things. On top of this, we've seen over 50 people come to know Jesus for the first time, and it looks like we're gonna be planting a new church in a large nearby community as a result of the Feeding Project. Isn't that amazing? Four weeks ago, I had this idea, and I've not sold a thing. God's doing stuff without me. God will do stuff without you. I just got distracted. I mean, I got distracted doing good things. I was helping my mother-in-law. I was playing with my kids. I was working hard here. But I sensed the Spirit of God put something on my heart. My family was excited about it, and I'm preparing the message this week, and I'm like, God, I don't ever want to stop here. I think by far this is the most dangerous pot because what happens here is this plant will grow and it'll look beautiful, but down underneath the ground where you can't see, something is dying. It's not until it chokes out. I didn't even think to say this last service, but boy, you always get the good stuff. My mother-in-law had this like little tiny weeping willow tree and it looked totally green, totally green on the outside. But I was talking to her about it, and we decided to cut it down. Now, my brother-in-law and I were in disagreement because I kept saying, Nana, I think it's got another three to five years out of it easily. I don't think it's that bad. It's very green. It's got some new growth. I think it'll be okay. My brother-in-law's pushing on the trees like, I don't know. This thing is really wobbly. Something's not right here. She decided she wanted it out since we were there to do the work, and so we literally pushed it over, literally pushed a tree over. And I went, something's not right. And when it split at the base, all these gross bugs came crawling out. It was dying from the inside, being choked to death. And you would have never known on the outside. It looked fantastic. I was convicted. And it's not that I'm not serving Jesus. It's not that I'm not seeking his face. It's just that I felt God tell me to do something and I've not been fully obedient to him. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Can you hear? What's God saying to you? The last thing Jesus says is he says, as a man is throwing a banquet and he sends out an invite to everybody around. And many people accepted the invitation. What they would do in that day is they would throw a banquet and then when it came time, they'd tell everybody the location when everything was prepared and ready. They'd send messengers out to go through the towns it's not Avon, right? This is a village back in the first century. 
And so when the messengers went out to tell everybody, hey, it's ready, it's ready, it's ready, go to this location, everybody's ready, come to the banquet, they all knew the day, they knew about the time, and so they were ready, they were ready. But instead, they got all these excuses. One of them just bought some new oxen, and they wanted to test them out. (laughs) Too busy for God. Some of them, you know, had work to do. Some had family commitments. There were all kinds of things that just kept them distracted from being with the man throwing the party. So he's livid. He's upset. He spent all this time and money to put together a celebration for them. So he tells the servants, fine, you go out into the streets and you find anybody who'll come. You go out to the blind and the lame and the deaf. You go out to those who are hurting. You go to them and you invite them. And they all came in. And at the last minute, there sat some people, those same people who originally invited us, oh, 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 we're ready now. We're ready to come in. And the door is shut. Let us in, let us in. No, it's too late now. And my fear is that some watching this at home or here today will be standing outside the door when the door is shut. And here, it's too late now. Because you were just too busy or too hurt, or whatever it might be, to come to Jesus and find that he truly is the lover of your soul, the author and the perfecter of your faith, the one who wants a relationship with you. He wants to heal you and grow you and take you deep and water you. He wants to do beautiful things in you that you can't even fathom yet. But it all begins with coming to him. What I want to do right now, and um, there's going to be some people that come out and clear all this so that we can worship. So I don't want you to be distracted by them while we're praying, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God to speak something to you. And if you don't hear God say something to you, then don't go to bed tonight until you do, because I promise you, he's speaking. And if you can't hear him, fast, fast a lot. Call us. We will pray with you. But I'm telling you, God is speaking. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, first, God, I want to I pray for those right here. God, maybe something in life has trampled on them, and they are, <clears throat> they are close to Satan coming like the birds and stealing the seed that you have planted in their heart. God, give them the strength just to hang on a little longer, the courage, the patience, whatever's needed to not quit on you. God, may this sermon even encourage them, Father. May they choose to take a stand against the enemy, against the evil one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. God, maybe some in here are like the seed that fell upon the rocks and they're thirsty. They're crying out for a drink. You say in Isaiah and in Revelation, anyone who is thirsty, come and I will give you water. I will build up a spring inside you, you say in John 7 and 8, that'll overflow from within you. You desperately want to quench our thirst. God, I pray for whoever that is right now watching this, listening. God, that they would come to you and find that you are the only well that satisfies. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room who are too distracted by their job, by their sports, by their kids' sports whatever it might be, vacations, money, boyfriends, girlfriends, spouses, exes, bosses, companies, the government, what's raging in America, whatever, God. And they're so distracted that they're not giving you their life, their heart. 
God, don't let anybody, please don't let anybody hearing this, Father, be on the outside of the door when the door shuts. God, please let us right here, right now, take this message to heart and change and turn and find you. So God, for all who have ears to hear, Father, my prayer right here, right now, is God, speak, speak so loud, speak so clear, the word that we need to hear from you. What do we need to do for you? God, we love you. Thank you for being so good and so patient and so merciful. You say that your mercies are new every single morning. So God, no matter what happened in all of the days before this one, this morning when we woke up, your mercies were waiting afresh for us and we receive them right now, God. We thank you for being such a good father. In Jesus' name, all God's people said.